This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. This is Kelly and Ramia. Entertainment, lifestyle, and great conversation. It's AMI's on air community, and everyone's invited. Welcome to the program, ladies and gentlemen, wherever you are tuned in around the world on AMI-audio or checking us out via AMI-tv. And I'm going to ask the question that nobody on our team is going to ask of my co-host today, Brock Richardson. Isn't it nice to have baseball back? Yes, 100%. (laughs) It is so, it is, you know, like I said last Friday on my sports uh, segment, a spring training baseball, if nothing else, just signifies spring. Like it just, you tune in and it's like, oh, the weather's so great in Florida. It's coming. I love it. I love, love, love it. So, yes, I am all about it. So, when I had the opportunity to go down to spring training uh, and do some covering of the Blue Jays several years back, and it was so hands-on and i i don't sorry maybe i probably the wrong words to use folks when i say that but a lot of hand shaking a lot of sitting down leaning over a fence with my hands on enjoying performance batting watching them do workouts and stuff like that and learning really what a baseball team a professional baseball team has to be doing at this time to get ready a lot of talking a lot of meeting with the other media people and listening to them talk um it was one of those you know, moments where you really get a chance to understand our business, you know, of broadcasting, of journalism, whatever you might say, as well as the sport itself. So really kind of every year about this time, think about it and and what an experience for me that was and, and how enjoyable, Brock. So, uh, yeah, I think that's the one sport where you can get the closest to the players. I liken it to my experience with the Canadian Paralympic Committee summit last year you i got an opportunity to be a member of the media conducting some interviews and and doing that and you just got such a different feel versus when they're actually in their real true like grind of the season and i really mm. enjoyed that so i can imagine that spring training would be on another level because it is a professional baseball team getting ready for what is a long grind of uh, 162 games over 180 days in and around there and it's all fun and games seeing the players around the the stadium throughout the town almost getting run over on his bike by by uh, ra dickey on a bicycle while you're walking lots of fun speaking of fun let's see what we've got for you today on our program Up uh, in a little while, what foods are good for the brain, you might ask? Nutritionist Julia Caranches, she's going to share some healthy choices. Jeff Thompson discusses live-edge lumber and how you can use it to enhance your projects. Boy, we got something to talk about during that segment. And to show you folks, on our monthly book club today, Danielle McLaughlin will be here, and she's going to be sharing her review with us. We'll talk about Actress by, uh, of course, the writer Anne Enright. We'll get into that conversation in hour two of the program. So yesterday I had the experience of visiting on behalf of Silt and Partners, a Center for Independent Living in Toronto, uh, be a part of a Zoom chat that started at 1 o'clock yesterday. That's why I wasn't on the program. This was a Black History Month event, and it 
was tremendous. So fedoras off to everybody. I learned a lot being a part of the panel that spoke. Um, and it has been that, for me, over the last few years, I will say, learning a lot, starting to see some of the things that my parents tried to introduce me to as a child that I may not have really understood. And it was really a wonderful experience. And I thank all of the people involved for their fine words, the things I learned from them, the things I took away, and the passion of, of bringing things forward as a black community and black communities in Canada, of course, throwing our disabilities as well, because that was part of the conversation. So I thank Silt and all the partners for making that possible and including me in that. A coalition of federal unions and organizations representing black workers has filed an international complaint against the uh, inter uh, Canadian Human Rights uh, Commission. The eight organizations say the body that handles human rights complaints against the federal government is violating global law because of its treatment of black employees. The executive director of the Black Class Action Secretariat says evidence of systemic discrimination within the commission is undeniable and unacceptable. A December Senate report on anti-black racism in the commission found a crisis of confidence in the body and questioned its ability to respond to human rights complaints in a fair and equitable manner. Naira Ahmed, The Canadian Press. So I think a lot, and, and again, after sitting through conversation yesterday and the things that I may have learned from some people, or perspectives, Brock, and we hear this in the disability community, how do we gain purchase? How do we speak out how do we get people to take what we have to say with a grain of salt take it serious take it whichever way but listen and see what what they can where they can help what they can learn from what we're saying and i think that when it comes to black communities the one area that people forget is how behind many of them were at getting that right coming to this country even in some of their own country of having a certain human rights that people have kind of stepped on, ignored, you know, it just totally, totally not felt they were deserving of. But then coming to other countries, how do you learn to speak up? How do you make yourself known? One of the things we spoke about yesterday is making sure we are seen. We are seen, we are active, and that includes the disabled community, uh, and not just black disabled, uh, disabled persons, everyone. So I think in other cultures and that Brock people have had that head start and the black communities in question are catching up. We can always strive to be better in the things we do, the words we choose. And I think as long as we're moving in the right direction and taking the right trajectory, that's all you can ask for and not taking the steps backwards intentionally or otherwise. Thanks, pal. You betcha. Coming up next on the program, vet Danielle Johnkind joins us. Something really interesting here, folks. Some scientists seem to be able to have reversed some hearing loss in mice using gene therapy. That conversation ahead in two minutes right here on Kelly and Ramya. Don't miss a minute. Kelly and Ramya will be right back. Working our way through February. In a couple of days, we turn it over to March. We'll see how March comes in. Remember the old lion or lamb bit? You don't hear about that much now because our weather's so screwed up. Out like a lamb in like a lion? Is that what it is? Yeah, I, I think that's what it was. Or or either yeah. way, which if it comes in rough, you know, well, let's hope it goes out like a lamb. We always hope that, especially yeah. after the groundhog business the month before. Yeah. 
I didn't know there was like like fifteen or sixteen groundhogs now that do this. Oh whole man, thing it's ridiculous. It's a, Worldwide, yeah, they much. speak different languages. It's crazy, right? You don't know which one to trust yeah. either. You know, it kind yeah. of to me, it's a little bit sketchy. What, what do you mean? Yeah. Which one do you consider the the real, authentic, really official groundhog? Oh yeah, man, I saw no shadow. What the heck? You know, like that kind of thing. Or <laughs> words that I can't really say on the show. Um, right. But I always wonder: is the weather so mixed up that this is going to be like half lion, half lamb someday? That is just yeah. no point. And I hear a lot of time now, like nobody speak of it again in my world. Now I don't, I can't speak for everyone and what all of you out there here. Um, but it's almost like we don't dare rock. I know we just don't dare touch it. What we Mm-mm. dare touch on a Tuesday at this time is, uh, the segment with Dr. Danielle Jonkine as she brings us lots of great stuff. Let's bring her on. Whether they provide us with companionship and income, food, or serve a critical role in the ecosystems that support us, animals are vital to human health. Have fun with us as we learn about animal-related topics and about the amazing bond we share with our animal friends. The world of science is always working and discovering amazing things. Then we publish these findings in academic papers, and we read them, and the hope is to eventually see them in real-world situations that benefit everybody. Dr. Danielle Jonkine today has found one of those papers, and she is here to discuss it. Dr. Danielle, welcome to the program, and what do you have for us today? I'm very interested. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm hoping everybody will be interested, um, but uh, we're going to talk about some fascinating and amazing research that was published in um, a journal called The Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences um, in August of 2023. Um, so the authors of this particular paper were um, Eliza Martelletti, Neil Ingham, and Karen Steele, and they were researching deafness in mice and were actually able to show that um, under certain circumstances, they could reverse hearing loss in these mice with their research. And I came across this and I was like, whoa, whoa, really? How cool is that? So I thought, you know, we should look into this paper more. We should get into it, find out how they did it and talk about it on the show. Well, that's amazing. Like this is pretty cool when we think about things. And I I had heard this somewhere and you get thinking how powerful um, some of these findings that, that then come up like this can, can be just to even hear, let alone <laughs> results. Okay, let's start with what caused the deafness in these mice? Well, actually, it turns out it was a genetic mutation. Um, mm. So to explain what happened to these mice because of the genetic problem, I'm going to give a quick refresher in biology first. I mean, for me included, it's been a long time since I <laughs> was in school. Right? So um, everybody knows that animals have DNA and that makes up their genetic code. Um, and it kind of acts like an instruction manual for the body for how the body should build and repair itself. So the DNA contains this instructions for um, building proteins, which are molecules that perform actions that keep bodies functioning. So when the body needs a protein for something, all the machinery in the cells that makes these proteins, you can kind of think of it like a construction crew for simplicity's mm-hmm. sake. 
it goes to the manual, which is the DNA, and it gets these instructions. And then this construction crew starts building the protein. And they do that by attaching the building blocks together in a long line. So it's it's kind of like assembling a string of pearls, if that makes any sense. And as the string gets longer, something truly kind of miraculous actually happens in that the pearls start interacting with other pearls on the string. And so the whole thing starts folding up and twisting. And, you know, some of them are holding hands with each other. And rather than a string, we end up with something more like a wire sculpture. You know, it becomes this three-dimensional shape that was made for a very specific purpose. So proteins do all kinds of things in the body. Um, they form gates that only open to allow specific molecules to pass through them. Um, some of them act like keys, you know, they dock with other proteins that act like locks. And so when the key goes in the lock, it triggers the body to perform specific functions. Um, other proteins carry special molecules around and some even have a huge role to play in processes like immunity. And I mean, I could spend all day describing all the things proteins can do, but, you know, we really should get back to our deaf mice. <laughs> so <laughs> there are lots of different things that can cause deafness. But these mice were deaf because there was a huge section of nonsense words that had accidentally been dropped into the middle of that instruction manual for a specific protein called SPNS2. So it would be kind of like typing something out on your computer and then you fall asleep and you wake up with your forehead on your keyboard and you might end up with a bunch of gobbledygook in the middle of your document, right? So, <laughs> you know, you can resume ah, typing. You know me too if... well, Danielle. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> I wasn't going <laughs> to name names. With... You did yeah, that. You did that all it, on uh... your own. <laughs> Try doing it with a screen screen reader on the computer where all you hear is a sp -sp 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 or something like that as it rattles them off. Exactly. Exactly. But, you know, if you leave that mess in the middle of your document, there's a whole section that just doesn't make any sense. So whenever the construction crew would get to that nonsense part of the instructions, they would just kind of scratch their heads and not be able to finish the job. So they'd all go home. So that protein, of course, just didn't get made. Well, it turns out that that particular protein has a really important function in those mice. And it ensures that there are a lot of positively charged ion molecules in the fluid of the inner ear. And without that high concentration of those ions in that fluid, the little cells of the ear that detect sound waves cannot um, send a signal to the brain when they do. And so if the brain doesn't get those signals from those little cells, the result is a deaf mouse. So mice with this particular genetic defect can actually hear at birth, but they rapidly lose their hearing as they get older. So, you know, that's kind of the nuts and bolts of why they were deaf in the first place. Very detailed uh, explanation there for sure. And aside from, you know, us as humans taking our head off the keyboard and hitting the undo button and it all goes away, how do they fix the problem <laughs> in mice? Because I don't think it's that simple. <laughs> yeah, we all wish there was an undo button, don't we? <laughs> I know when I have computer problems, it becomes rapidly becomes my best friend. <laughs> well, as far as the mice goes, the researchers were able to discover that the original instructions were all intact for making this protein in the mice. All they had to do was remove that nonsense section in the middle of the instructions. So kind of like they found the undo button, I guess. So there were specific markers that indicated where the normal normal DNA ended and then where it began again on either side of these nonsense things. And so now all they needed was an editor to kind of go in, cut the nonsense text out of the instruction manual, and they found it in another protein. 
and by telling this editor protein to go to work at different times in the development of these mice and then measuring their ability to hear, they were able to determine whether the treatment worked or not and also whether or not applying this treatment at different times was better um, or more effective at fixing this problem than at others. Man, I'm glad you gave us that reminder on the proteins. The biology was perfect because now I'm picturing that very, you know, detailed, specific, um, you know, graph that you basically painted for us. So I'm looking in there and wondering, okay, how did they tell that editor protein to get the work in there? Well, you know, this was actually a really cool thing, and I'm constantly amazed at how brilliant these kinds of people are. So there is a form of this editor protein that only works when it's exposed when it is exposed to a specific molecule. So a medication called tamoxifen. So by giving this tamoxifen to the mice, they were able to trigger this editor protein to start working, and then wow. they were able to follow up to see whether the hearing improved or not. So you know it was there, but it wasn't working. So they told it to work by giving the tamoxifen, and then they said, "Okay, let's see what happens." Okay, so I really have to ask, how on earth can you possibly test <laughs> for hearing in in mice? <laughs> well, you say their name. Actually... <laughs> Arnold. Arnold. Yeah. Hey, Arnold. Obviously. Pay attention. Tim, what are you doing? Tim, wake up. Wake up, Tim. <laughs> Well, it's actually really hard to assess hearing in animals. And as a veterinarian, I can tell you it's not something I can reliably do in an office exam either. Um, the best I can do to see if an animal can hear is to um, see if they have a startle response to a loud and unexpected sound. But of course, that kind of testing just does not stand up to scientific rigor, though, right? So there actually is... <laughs> a way to measure brainwaves to see if an animal can hear, and they call it an auditory brainwave response test. And of course, this is done on an anesthetized mouse, and it's how the scientists were able to determine if the mouse could hear or not. Um, I believe they do something similar on human babies when they test hearing. But, you know, because like animals, they just can't tell you if they can actually hear something or not. Wow. Okay. So what were the results? Well, the scientists found that they could actually reverse the hearing loss in some mice with this treatment, which, of course, is like completely amazing. Uh, they did find there were some limitations. So not all of the mice fully regained their hearing, and some had better results than others. And the other thing the scientists noted was that the timing of the treatment was really, really important. So there was definitely a window of time when the treatment worked best. And once that window had passed, and the longer it was left before the treatment started, the less likely the mouse was able to regain its hearing. With all of this uh, research, is there any potential applications in medicine? Well, it's kind of a tough question to answer, but in fact, the researchers were asked questions about that in an interview by the journal who published their paper, um, and their answer was a little complicated. So the study showed that this particular type of gene mutation could be corrected, but gene editing is extremely specific to the molecules involved when there is a problem. Mm -hmm. 
um, this isn't a common cause of human deafness. So the specific treatment they used on the mice, of course, would not work on a person. Having said that, they were able to show that removing a section of nonsense DNA in a gene can potentially fix a genetic mutation. Um, it's also proof of concept that the timing of the therapy can be critical to its success. And the yes. authors of the paper actually speculated on why the timing was so important in this case. And I really found that to be a really interesting discussion. So if you recall what actually caused the hearing to deteriorate in the mice, it was that this defective protein caused those um, that lack of positively charged ions in the fluid of the inner ear. And they speculated that the lack of that those charged ions eventually caused the death of the cells in the ear that detect the sound waves. So once the cells were dead, there was just no way of replacing them, which may be why starting the treatment too late didn't work very well. And that's what they were talking about in the interview. And of course, you know, so that could potentially have, you know, implications for age-related hearing loss in people. So, you know, this this is the type of stuff that can springboard into more questions that, you know, um, into more research that could be potentially um, helpful to people eventually, too. So it's kind of a proof of concept idea. Something really always has to get the ball rolling in medicine. And I think this is a good example of that. Danielle, thank you so much. As always, great stuff. And you leave us wondering, hmm, what's next for Danielle? And we'll find out next week. Have a great week. <laughs> Thanks. You too. That was Dr. Danielle Jonkine, and she joins us weekly for Ask a Veterinarian. I like the thought of the springboard, right? What does it leap into next? Or, hey, that we go from here to where we're thinking seniors, just normal hearing loss and decline. Like, uh, they've got so many. Or can you prevent that drying out where the cells end up get, you know, dying? So really fantastic. And uh, I, I, what I love, too, is... Danielle was just so excited over this research because we think about how they're doing it in those conversations. What if we tried? Don, no, that wouldn't work. But what if we added? Oh, yeah. You just think being in the back room or in the lab when these conversations are going on, bro, so powerful. It's so amazing. So I, I, I love that part of it. But you can just hear the excitement of what could be. Coming up, folks, what foods are good for the brain? Our nutritionist, Julia Karanchis, she's going to stop by for a few minutes with us and give us some healthy choices. Always great conversation. It's two minutes away right here on Kelly and Ramya. Stick around and learn something new. Kelly and Ramya return with more in a moment. Spending time with Brock Richardson today on the program. Ramya is away and we'll be back on the show tomorrow. Welcome to Kelly and Ramya. And the word, Brock, is that yesterday you guys finished up the show talking about hockey cards. Well, what's going on? I thought we were bad enough doing baseball. And, of course, you know, I'd love to mention something about basketball and things like that. But I digress. Maybe we'll get into that a little later for a moment. But hockey cards. Um... A lot of expensive stuff. I mean, I've known people who really collect cars, never open them, keep them in. And, and I'm sure someday will come that day where they may actually go out and try to sell them. Or, okay, someday will come where their family members left behind will go out and sell their whole collection. What, whatever. But um, one of the things that you guys were going to talk about, I heard on our meeting yesterday, was the Wayne Gretzky card from 1979. And I had that card. 
and my dad took my hockey card collection that he helped me start that I guess I apparently lost interest in because he gave it to another kid who then went and sold it a few months later for over $200. Uh -oh. Just a few months later, Brock. Yes. Mm -hmm. I think. Could you imagine what a few decades later it would be of have been valued? Yeah, like something like $3.6 million for the whole. Yeah, you, you know, betcha, man. Oh, yeah, boy. That's a lot, that's a lot <laughs> of money. And, yeah, 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 and it's uh, it's something else, and there's a lot of people out there who you know have them in great condition and everything like that. So, uh, I, I, you know, fedoras off to those people, folks. It's time to get into a conversation and nutrition. We do this every other Tuesday on the program. Let's welcome in Julia Caranchis. Hi, I'm Julia Caranchis. Join me on Kelly and Ramya as we dive into the wonderful world of nutrition and wellness with tips to stay healthy and live a vibrant lifestyle. Always love having you on board, Julia. Thank you very much for being with us. Uh, today, we've got an interesting conversation ahead. Um, we're going to be talking about different kinds of foods that really help us out when it comes to, would we say, our brain power? Yeah, our brain power. Good way of putting it. I mean, I personally, as I age, I have noticed I do not retain things as well. I also don't learn things as fast. Um, and I can tell there's, uh, you know, it's slower moving up there. And, you know, our bodies are important. Our brain, though, is the computer, really, for everything. It's the command center. It's the organ that consumes the most energy which is really important mm. to note. And so it wow. would make sense to learn about foods that are beneficial for it and what we can eat to help to help fuel it. And the great thing about these foods that are good for the brain is that it isn't just one type of food, that there are foods in many different categories. So I think this makes it easier to, you know, digest, pun intended. Um, yeah to learn about what we can eat to help better fuel our brain and protect it. Yep, well, when we're talking about fussiness, pickiness, or just simply having choice, we all like that because we're, we're all so different. And when you talk about oh, recall, trying to remember stuff or hold it in your head, I always think, oh my goodness, as I get older, this is just getting so much worse. But I remember, gee, I had trouble since I was five coming up with certain names, certain <laughs> words, but we do know. There's a decline and there are things that we can do to work on some of that. So I want to go back to the question that, uh, that really jumps into my head when you talk about powering that computer that uses up so much energy. What categories are we talking about here when we say that regarding foods? Right. So we know that omega-3 is a very beneficial fat for our brain. And we've talked about, you know, flaxseed and other fats in, in various segments before, because it's so very important. Um, but that's one category is omega-3. And so then if you're only considering foods that have omega-3, it can be limiting. So mm -hmm. salmon, right? Some seeds like flax, like we chatted about, but there are also fruits and vegetables that are good for our brain and whole grains and nuts and other seeds besides flax. And this variety allows for multiple opportunities in the day to feed your brain and to protect your brain. And so if you don't like one food or you don't want to keep consuming that food, 
it's great to have other options to turn to that you can also use in different ways. Or, you know, perhaps it's a seasonal thing. If you like to eat seasonal, not all food is in season all the time. And so it, variety is always so important. So anytime that there's a variety component, it's beneficial. We don't hear a lot about fruits and vegetables when we're talking about you know, brain and associating it with that and being so good. And you wanted to touch a little bit on that as well. Yeah, we always talk about fruits and vegetables for general health. And I mean, obviously, you could lump brain into that category of general health. But specifically, we talk about fruits and vegetables in the the field of heart health and colon health because of their fiber mm-hmm. content. I mean, we've talked yeah. numerous times about fiber. So, so important. Um, but we don't talk about them for, for brain health, but the antioxidants that you find in fruits and vegetables help to protect brain cells from damage. So they can be beneficial when you're talking about the category of brain. Fruits such as bananas are great, blackberries and avocado. Yes, I put avocado in the fruit category. And then vegetables such as broccoli and beets. So these are great sources of vitamin C, specifically broccoli, we know it's great for vitamin C, and flavonoids and other antioxidants that could help contribute to reducing the risk of neurodegenerative diseases. So yes, eat an apple every day, but also broccoli or a banana, also beneficial. You went there with the avocado. That's kind of like people going there with pineapple. <laughs> I did. Oh my goodness, good. How... I... Why do you think we don't discuss the brain health? Is it, I mean, I almost feel sometimes because brain seems to be the thing we either know the least about or feel we know the least about, we've found out more about later than we have other areas, or it's one of those things that people just almost almost instantly go into with doubt. Yeah, I'm sure that helps the brain. Sure, how do you know it helps? The, even though we know it's part of the human body, these are the positive things. Do you think that's kind of why it's just not, spoken enough it's almost like yeah you don't really know how good these bananas are yet we know there's darn well research and so much backing yeah yeah i don't know what the disconnect is you know we focus a lot i mean i maybe it's just me and the and the you know the realm that i hang out in on all of the organs you know, from your neck down, like everything that's in that torso area, you know, the stomach, the intestine, places where you're actually digesting your food. We always talk about those, you know, large intestine, small intestine, and then your colon. We focus a lot on heart health, especially when we chat about women's health, because we know cardiovascular disease is the number Mm -hmm. one killer of women. And so those discussions are all super important, but there isn't as much conversation in terms of foods for the brain commonly i mean i obviously these are huge fields of research but in the day-to-day you know nobody says oh yeah that's a really good brain food but we would say oh i heard that's really good for heart health um and i'm not sure i'm not sure if it's just because it's such a complex organ and so much research is still yet to be done on it perhaps but it certainly doesn't seem you know for the common like us common folk who are not in the world of academia to chat about it a lot and maybe we're forgetting to, and maybe that's a direct correlation. Maybe that speaks for itself. Yeah, I think we worry about it more on the level of strokes and things like that that could happen, right, damage that yeah. could happen to it, as opposed to keep it being effective and 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 keep it working. Okay, I want to go back to your bananas. What do they do in terms of yeah. brain health? 
Yeah, bananas. I know we talk about bananas for potassium, uh, which is so good for heart health. Uh, yeah. But bananas are also a source of an amino acid called tryptophan. And this is kind of alarming if you're not used to chatting about bananas and the, um, you know, as a as a source of amino acids, because typically amino acids come from meat things. But this right. amino acid helps our body make a hormone called serotonin, which is good for our mood. And it also may help increase a person's ability to learn things or remember things. And this is where uh, it hit home for me because I do have issues remembering things. So we typically do get amino acids from protein-rich foods. Um, obviously, anything that came from an animal would be a protein-rich right, food. Like our turkeys would of... have the tryptophan, right? We, we always hear about yeah. it connected with turkey. We do, we do. Uh, and then any animal product is a source of a complete protein, and so you'd be getting tryptophan in it. But there's lots of plant-based sources of amino acids. Obviously, that's how people are able to maintain a vegan diet. There's lots of other opportunity to get these nutrients. And so banana is one of them. So, you know, equally as important to learn about where the amino acids come from, because now you, yes, you could eat turkey or you could have a banana every day, which, yes, would also be very good for your colon health, which is lovely to think about. But if you're not going to be eating meat all the time, you do maybe want to learn about where else you could be getting some key nutrients from. And all of this variety, again, just helps to create a more balanced diet. Uh, banana is my favorite fruit, without a doubt. Like, if I could choose my fruit, I would say banana, then strawberries, then maybe the apple. But banana is definitely yeah. the one that I go to almost right away because you can, you know, put it in smoothies. You can just eat it straight. You can do whatever you want to do with it. So I yeah, like I play it smart, have it on a Sunday. You know, but yeah. Bland, oh, and you know split. Oh, bro. The nice thing about the banana is that I think it's pretty consistent in terms of taste because you can yes. get strawberries that taste really different depending on what season you've purchased them in, right? Some of them are kind of like little candies. And then other times they can have no flavor and blueberries are the same thing, even texture with blueberries. I mean, I've had some blueberries where the texture deviates a lot. Um, oh yeah. And there's those little soft apples. ones are your favorite. <laughs> yeah. Like the juicy <laughs> ones where you bite into them and it's kind yeah. of like a candy. So great. Uh, and even apples, there's so many varieties of apples and you could also buy an apple, you bite into it and not, the, the texture's off or it's softer than you thought it was going to be on the inside. And so it sometimes, you know, yeah, it's I not was... always palatable, but bananas mm -hmm. are I... consistent. I mean, they're, they always taste the same. I, I was thinking more of the banana bread, Kelly, if you wanted to go in. The uh, I'm sure. Of things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Long yeah, as it's hidden. No, 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 no. You're just going to have them. And just, you can't have it look the same all the time. Yeah. Julia, yeah. do you have anything more on avocados? You did touch on it just a little bit, but did you have anything more oh, on yeah, avocados? Let's, sure. Yeah, let's chat about that because I, I talked about the fruits and vegetables. I put them all together, but they do do different things. So avocados are fatty, fleshy fruit. Um help to lower blood pressure and having lower blood pressure appears to be beneficial for cognitive function. So avocados would be good for that. In addition, they also provide great levels of an antioxidant called lutein, which studies show help to increase cellular activity, which is important because as we talked about at the very beginning of the segment, the brain is the most energy consuming organ. So great fuel for the brain when you look at it like that. Right. 
All right, so let's round them up. We have bananas, broccoli, avocados, anything else we can add that would be easy to incorporate? Okay, I know it's not the same, but going off what Brock said about how easy it is to put in a smoothie, spinach. Spinach, you can throw a handful into your soup, stew on top of any stir fry dish into your smoothie. Spinach contains beta carotene and lutein, uh, which uh, a study done in 2020 that was published in the Journal of Nutrition found that these nutrients have beneficial effects on cognitive function. So it would be you know, useful to eat these on a daily basis. And I do want to note that we want to eat these foods on a daily basis. And the occasional handful of spinach here, one banana a week, isn't, you know, isn't going to do the job. It is really part of developing the healthy habits and the consistency that you, you would really feel the benefit of these things. Rock, you buying that spinach in your smoothie with the banana? <laughs> No, I think I'll take uh. one of those out and I'll leave you to decide which one I'm taking out. Uh, I figured that. All right, all right. Okay. So, okay. Uh, thanks a lot, Julia. Absolutely wonderful. For perfect, a good uh, food for thought. Thanks, guys. Join Julia Carentius for our Nutrition Talks every other Tuesday opposite wellness with Francis Wong here on the program. We step aside for just a couple of moments. When we return... Dave Sanderson is a survivor of USA Flight 1549 and joins us to talk about the experiences and meaning he derived from the crash 15 years ago. We talk next. Keep it here for more of Kelly and Ramya on AMI-tv. Thanks for being with us, ladies and gentlemen. It's Kelly and Ramya. Ramya is not with us today. Brock Richardson sitting in. He's at the studio in Kitchener at his home. I'm here at the home studio in London, Ontario. And I want to remind you, subscribe to the podcast when you have a chance. Take a listen to the show in segment form or the complete Kelly and Ramya podcast where you can listen to the audio vanity card tacked on to the end of the full show podcast. However you listen to the show, whether it's listening to us live or on one of the repeats or via the podcast, Brock, we're always happy to have people on board. Indeed we are. This year marks the 15th anniversary of the Miracle on Hudson, the story of a plane that lost power and landed on the Hudson River in January 2009. The event later inspired the Oscar-recommended film Sully, Dave Sanderson was a survivor of this U.S. Airways flight in 1549, and due to his desire to help others, he was the last passenger off the plane, and now he is at, he was the last passenger after it crashed off the plane, and now he is a world-renowned speaker, and he's helping going around places and telling his story, and he's going to be in Toronto in March to uh, tell the story and help others understand the story and his life journey. Dave, welcome to the program. And I have to start by saying to you that I saw you speak about uh, in 2012, and I really enjoyed it. So looking forward to this conversation. Can you first start by telling us a little bit about yourself, if you would? 
Thank you, Brock, and thank you for remembering me back in 2012. That's uh, so it's a few years ago. So thank you very much. Yeah, I I appreciate the opportunity. I I am just an ordinary guy that uh, happened to be on a plane that day that I wasn't supposed to be on. I was in for over 30 years. I was in sales and sales management on a sales trip that uh, that week. I, I was end of a three-day business trip, which ended in uh, Brooklyn, New York. And that's how I got to be in the New York City that day. And, and uh, Canley, I was not supposed to be on that flight. I was scheduled to be on a later flight. And all of a sudden, uh, we got done work early that morning in Brooklyn, about 10 a.m. And our travel agent uh, worked with me, and I worked with her, and she put me on flight 1549. So that's, uh, that's how I got to be a part of this uh, unbelievable experience. Wow. Wow, Dave. Well, we, we you know, of course... As people hearing about it, and I remember that day hearing about the flight and and it going down and thinking, oh my gosh. And I specifically were thinking, what's that like? As you know, you're going down. What the plan is? We're gonna do this in the river. We're gonna. I don't even want to say ditch. It's almost like land on it, but you are ditching the plane in the river. Can you tell us what happened on that flight, fifteen forty nine? Sure, yeah. I mean, what normal takeoff, nothing unusual. I was a C-15A, that's four rows behind the left wing. And about a minute after we took off is when I heard an explosion on the plane. Can't, I've never heard an explosion like that. So that got my attention. So I looked out the window. I saw fire coming out from me to the left wing. So I knew something had happened, but I really didn't think much of it because, you know, I, I fly so often. Planes have multiple engines. And I thought, okay, we lost an engine. We're going back to the airport. But uh, that's, I think that's where the miracle really starts, Kelly, because no one on the plane knew at that moment in time what happened on the left side of the plane where I was at, also up on the right side of the plane uh, simultaneously. And I think, uh, you oh, know, across man. reference, I think everybody would have probably had a different experience. But, you know, we, uh, he started, uh, started banking, and I didn't think anything. I thought he was going back to the airport until I looked out the window. I saw the skyline of Manhattan was right out my window, and I'd never seen Manhattan that close, and then I looked out a little further, and I see this bridge coming up, which happened to be the George Washington Bridge, we found out later, and all of a sudden, he said his famous words, the captain said his famous words, this is your captain, brace for impact, and that's the moment I knew, and probably everybody else knew, that uh, something pretty serious is going to happen in uh, approximately 60 seconds after he crossed over the George Washington Bridge. So he crashed into the river. And, you know, I mean, there's a lot of terms you could, you could water ditching, landing, but you're in the back of a plane, Kelly, and it's going 110, 120 yeah. miles an hour. If, you know, and um, it becomes a crash pretty quickly. And um, fortunately for us, we had a captain who uh, got that plane down uh, in one piece, which I tell people that's a, that's a miracle in itself. But then is when you have all the things that start happening because now mm -hmm. you've got a plane. In the river, 36 degrees Fahrenheit, about one degree Celsius, and all of a sudden now you, it's filling the plane quickly with water. Now you got a different experience going on. After the uh, crash, and you and others survived, how did that? How did you feel about that? Like, what was the emotion when you realized, "Wow, we 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 survived this." 
I didn't actually know that we survived this until I got to, got to the shore in New Jersey because, you know, I went out the right side of the plane, Brock, and, um, you know, I mean, it, we had a whole different experience because the left side of the plane went out to the New Jersey side. We went out our New York side. We went out to the New Jersey side. So I think everybody on the Jersey side, once we figured out that we all got out, was uh, we all knew that we at least survived that portion. But now some of us, like myself, I was in the 36-degree water for over seven minutes. Some other mm. people were in the water likewise. So we all we all had different experiences, but we all now are in 30. You know, we've been in the water, and it's 11 degree Fahrenheit air temperature going on at the same time. So it's you know until we got to the, until I got at least to the shore, I didn't know that I and the others that joined us on the shore uh, had made it. Then you got the New York story, which uh, we found out later the same thing happened there. So fortunately, we all uh, we all survived. Wow. Um- Give us some perspective, if you don't mind, Dave, in the sense of I just want to go back. The plane goes over the bridge. At from from your impression, how close were you? And when do you think, being captain, being up front, that decisions made were ditching into the river? Only place I can go. Do you think that was like a straight up? It's the only place I can go if this thing makes it. Yeah, great question, Kelly. We cleared the bridge by roughly 400 feet. Uh, the bridge is 600 feet up. The plane was 1,000 feet at that point in descending. So about 400 feet is how we cleared it. And, you know, when uh, you can actually, I, we got the flight recording of that. He made that call uh, pretty much after the air traffic controller told him he had a runway in, in LaGuardia he could go to. He said, no, we're going we're gonna to end up in the river. Because if you look at, he had basically four options. Four choices. He could have gone back, tried to get back to the airport, which wasn't a good option, as in the mm-hmm. movie, really realized it, it had a very difficult time getting there. He could have gone into the Atlantic Ocean, which was right there, but there's no one there to rescue. He could have gone into the airport in Teterboro, which is the closest airport, but there's too many skyscrapers there to even try that. So his only only option or only choice was the river. And he uh, he made that call once he sort of went through his mind very quickly and had to deduce that. That's an incredible, incredible. What lessons do you teach others based on your experience and how do you go about accomplishing teaching those lessons? Yeah, thank you. I I have the opportunity, as you you know, Brock, as you heard me speak, I get the opportunity to speak around the world. I also conduct workshops, and my latest book, The Limitless Life, really talks about the lessons that I learned and started applying after the miracle on the Hudson. There's so many lessons that came out of it. And one of the biggest lessons that came to me, and and this is the one I think, especially right now, um, is to be less judgmental. And, you know, I tell people, no one really cared what color skin you had or what, you know, anything that was going on. You were all in this thing together. And that's one of the greatest lessons is when you have a mission and you just bond together, have a focus on the mission. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who you are when you pull together. But what happened to me and when I learned this lesson was actually a couple of weeks later when I was on a TV show called Good Morning America here in the uh, in New York, and I was in New York City. We were done with the, the event. We were in the green room, some of the passengers and the crew, and one of the passengers got a little emotional, and I immediately started judging this person. And, you know, all of a sudden, I didn't find know his backstory. When I found out later, 
he was actually starting to go through a divorce and he lost his job. And that's the moment, Kelly and Brock, I realized how many times in my life have I judged somebody so quickly before I knew their backstory. And if I could just learn that one thing and change one thing in my life to be less judgmental, how could that affect my life? That's the lesson. And I learned so quickly to help me turn this around and help me start what I'm doing now and going around the world and uh, teaching these lessons. I teach in my new book, The Limitless Life, and other lessons from that day. Wow, the things you must think about as you're going around teaching, as you were writing and and stuff like that, uh, doing the interviews of self-exploration, because it takes that to say, what the heck am I doing judging this person? And yet... You were out there helping people get off this plane, not thinking about it, except, you know, we've all got to get out of here. And really thank you for the comment of no thought of someone's skin color, their sex, their age, their whatever, and, and judgment that way. Um, so it, it, it really, and, and you can't fault other people who were, help me, help me, I just want to get out of here. Exactly, exactly right. And one of the things that when we were at the 15th anniversary in New York City, you know, we had the event for the first responders bringing them together, which I was very honored to be a part of. And one of the things I spoke about is it's amazing the diversity of the people in that room, of all the first responders, the Red Cross, the passengers, uh, and everybody that was in that room. And it's amazing that, you know, when you can take the power that comes in diversity and unity in diversity. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what, uh, you know, what, oh, I, I know that's one of the things I really want to focus on my messaging right now is helping people understand, you know, there's a, there's a power in diversity. And if, uh, if you just check your ego at the door and you know, forget about it, it's not about you. It's one of the other big lessons I talk about. It's not, you figure out it's not about you. It's about yeah. a bigger mission. Yes. And all of a sudden yeah. things uh, start coming together pretty quickly. Oh, man. Um, I got to ask you, Dave, so we don't run out of time on you. Talk about the, the touring around, talking, especially Toronto, um, when people come to see you and give us, if you would, dates or how people can register. But what, as you as you speak up there, when you finish up and people come up and just want to meet you, just want to say, oh, my gosh, um, what do you find people most want to know? What happened or this change post-event? I was. It's a great question, Kelly. I just spoke last week in Washington, D.C., right downtown at the capital of the United States. And when people come up to me, the most often asked question I get is, how did you get back on a plane after you went through a plane crash? <laughs> and what I've realized, I get this every day in one form or another. What I've really realized that question is, Kelly, is this. How did you gain the resiliency to bounce back and create an opportunity what you did? And even people want to know how you bounce back. And that's why I titled my TED Talk that I did in Queen's University in Kingston, Bouncing Back Post-Traumatic Growth, about how do you bounce back from a traumatic life experience. And that's exactly why I did it in Queen's University. And I'm very honored to do that in uh, Canada because I love coming to Canada. I come to Canada many times a year. And I can't wait to be back in Toronto sharing not only the story, but really these lessons from my new book that uh, hopefully people can take one or two away and next time they get in a challenging situation, know that, you know what, somebody else has gone through it. Let's see how they figured it out. How can I apply this to my life? You bet. Dave, absolutely incredible stuff. And, um, you know, if people can take one thing from this interview as we're running out of time here, what would you quickly say from one thing we've talked about here? What do you want people to take away? That you know, I would say the one thing, if someone could take something away, is the success. It's not about you. It, you know, one of the things you learn is if you look at the bigger mission, the bigger thing that's going on around you, all of a sudden, and you check your ego at the door, 
watch the magic that can happen. And that's what happened that day. We had people who checked their egos at the door. So diverse, it's almost diversity on that plane. And all of a sudden, from, so from a tragedy, produced a miracle and turmoil into triumph. Thank you very much, Dave. It was a pleasure. And we'll have to have you back again soon. Yeah, really Thank wonderful, Dave. Dave, where can we get the book, by the way? Uh, if you go, you go to my website, DaveSandersonSpeaks.com, I'd love to be able to personalize it or just go to Amazon. Uh, it's up on Amazon right now, Amazon Canada. And uh, But, yeah, thank you very much for supporting it because a portion of this will go back to the Red Cross. And um, I'm very honored to be able to do that to support their mission of ending human suffering, which is what, uh, what I, why I spent so much time with the American Red Cross. Well, thank you for the book and so much more, The Limitless Life. Thanks, Dave. Good luck. Have a great trip around and uh, really appreciate your time. Thank you very much. That was speaker, author, and survivor Dave Sanderson speaking to us about the events of Flight 1549 and the miracle on Hudson. Okay, folks, we'll step aside for a couple of moments. In the next hour, we host our monthly book club, and Danielle McLaughlin will be sharing her review of Actress by Anne Enright. Woodworker Jeff Thompson will be talking about live-edge lumber and how you can use it to enhance your projects. But up next, folks, there's some fun concerts and events in St. John's over the next month. Community reporter Kim Thistle, she's got that for us after this. Keep it here for more of Kelly and Ramya on AMI-tv. Welcome back to the program where all these great conversations parade your way daily. We're here from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern on AMI-tv. AMI Audio, we debut on there at 4 p.m. Eastern, repeat of the program, 10 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-TV and audio. And, of course, you can subscribe to the Kelly and Rumya podcast today. Pinch hitting for Rumya is Mr. Brock Richardson joining me. He's at his studio at home in Kitchener, Ontario. Kelly McDonald here at the home studio, London, Ontario. And it's time, as we like to do, Monday, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays, generally on the program, we welcome in one of our community reporters each day to have a conversation with us. Let us know, Brock and I, today, what's going on in the area. So let's welcome in from St. John's, Newfoundland out there, Kim Thistle. Kim, welcome back. How are you today? Hey, I'm good. How are you guys doing? Uh, excellent. Excellent show Great conversations, and, oh, yeah. you know, i got a great co-host hanging in here again, as usual. Yes, I heard the last little bit of the last conversation. Really, really oh, good. Beautiful. Dave was just wonderful. We urge people to go back and, and check that out. I'm sure it'll show up on our Cut for Time segment on Friday. <clears throat> I'm sure of it. Uh, Kim, <laughs> let's get into the first topic. This is really interesting. Women-owned businesses. What's going on here? Well, I really I like this because I researched a bit more is about the farmer's market here in St. John's Newfoundland. We have it yeah. every Wednesday and Saturday, Sunday. But I like the concept they said women-owned businesses because it's on March 10th from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. at the St. John's Farmer's Market. That's an accessibility building, I should say. It's all level, flat, and converted from the Metro bus, like our busing system. But my, oh, what nice. I liked about this is on March the 8th is International's Women, International Women's Day. 
So we need to, in recognition of all that women do in social, economically, politically, and culturally, they're doing the farmer's market and it's women-owned businesses and it's vintage, food, crafts, and what else they said, fun and, um, and arts. And I love what they said, the, bend, the vendors identify as women, gender diverse and gender non-conforming folks. So come on down, pick up some, some fresh produce, perhaps get some gifts for birthday gifts or Christmas gifts if you're early planning. <laughs> I'm not that early planning, but I, you know, I've, I've been known to pick up a few it's things smart, early, though. you know. Yeah, you it's a smart way there. to do it, right? Yes, yeah, but it's just supporting women business, and especially, like I said, the, the March the 8th is International Women's Day. So tying it together. So I thought that was a great venue to suggest mm -hmm. for, you know, anyone living in the St. John's outside of St. John's area, the metro area. Well, of course, we like the accessibility, too, of this location. Yes. But I have to ask him, when we talk about, and, and every location is going to be different, but we know this yes. is a a key topic, a hot-button topic, some will say, yes. is making sure, we, whether we're talking Aboriginals people, people with disabilities running a business, women are right in there in that how do they get out there? How do they gain that trust? How do they gain the recognition that they're here? You know, it's one thing to walk into a business place and, and do you think about yeah. who runs it? But when you hear someone is doing something that this is for the efforts of and recognizing, you know, getting people out there the, the this particular day, it's much more about maintaining that every day. The next day, do you support these businesses? Is this much of a talk there in St. John's um, when it comes I'm to these businesses? Sure is there a lot of them? Talk. I know a lot of talk has been around like what I'm seeing on Facebook and different things. And like, I have some friends who have their own business, like artwork. And if they talk about, you know, supporting local artists and supporting local businesses, whether it's male or female. And that's a, you know, we have the big chain, rest, the big chain restaurants, you know, what I'm talking about, like big chain stores and things like that. So I like to support local when I can. And, you know, we got Amazon you can order from, but, you know, if we can get it locally. And I apologize, I have my dog booting me here. Go lie down, Lance. <laughs> <laughs> he wants to talk about women and diversity as well <laughs> yeah he's got an opinion right oh my goodness he does well and i think too like when you look at you know the businesses you're supporting and things like that i know for me i like you know looking directly into the person and saying i know where my money is going all too often we don't know where our money is going kim so this is Great. Your second item, uh, Kim, is the Rogue Malone's Live. Tell us more about this, if you would. Well, this is another thing that I was, it was so hard to select for this month for March coming up because there's so many different activities. Like I want to go and I'm going to a lot of the, the Rogue Malone's is a tribute concert, concert of the Pogues. And on and of the, one of the members that passed away, Sean, let me make sure I have the correct name. Sean, the late Shane McGowan. So it's a, it's a new club downtown. I haven't been there. So unfortunately, I'm unable to tell you about accessibility. I will be going this weekend. Um, but the town, it's a new club that's supposed to be like a, um, a, a stage up, like a lounge type of environment. And they have a mixologist there and special cocktails. And they do live music and DJs every night. So I think this should be a fun live at the Ochre and it's a Vogue Malone. Tickets are $30 before March 1st and $40 at the door, but a tribute to the music of the Pogue. So I think it should be a fun evening out. There's nothing better, Kim, than, uh, in my opinion, tribute bands. I, I mean, obviously the band first, the one that 
you're, you're tributing is what you w- would lean towards first. But any kind of right. tribute is is something that you you really enjoy. And I and I find that most of the time tributes are done relatively accurately. Like when you go to a tribute band, you think, okay, does this remind me enough of the band? Or is it something totally separate? And I know for me, I'm satisfied when I can say, yep, that reminded me exactly who they're tributing because that's what I want in the end. Awesome. Yeah, so I'll, I I hope so. <laughs> I imagine yeah. it will be. We usually have great performers. I, you know, I'm not biased about Newfoundland, Labrador, Talon, am I? <laughs> not one bit, right? <laughs> not one bit. <laughs> I always say that to the people out in uh, BC, right? Because they never stop uh, being so proud or knowing, hey, this is where most people want to come live. And you guys get a bit of that. Like people want to come out there. Want they? It's it's a um, not a mystery. What's the word? It, it's almost like a what's the word they used to use in the books? It, it, romanticism. Is that right? Is that the okay. word I'm looking for, yes. Kim? That people yes. have about being out there. That. Yes, and and I hope you weren't disappointed when you did come to Newfoundland and St. John. Oh, beautiful that you place. Disappointed it was what just your beautiful. perception, your expectations met what. Oh. I was able to provide when you came and visit. <laughs> oh. You know, it was wonderful. And and again, when I watch things, even like Republic of Doyle, and you can see the pride of, of what people have there and showing it off. And, yeah. you know, it's so nice. Okay, your third topic. I find this one, as you know, a great one. Atlantic Jazz Nights, folks. Let's go. And what I love about this is it's offered through the Art and Culture Center and the, the website, you know, acc.ca, but it's across Newfoundland and, well, not Labrador, unfortunately, but they have their dates. So I'll just look at the dates here. We have um, we have Gander, Grand Falls, Cornerbrook, and Stephenville, as well as St. John's. So March 24th to the 28th, and tickets are $30, and that includes the service char- charge. And I think it's a fun evening. You enjoy jazz music. I think you're going to enjoy your evening out and the opportunity to visit the different across Newfoundland. I can talk about St. John's Art and Culture Centre, as I've mentioned before, and I'd like to remind everybody that they have the outside ramp or accessibility if anyone has mobility issues or use the walker or wheelchair. Come on in and it brings you right into the main level of the Art and Culture Centre. And they have set seat asides. They usually have four seats set aside for persons with disability. And then sometimes, if you know, if you're able to sit in other seats, but you're attended. Just remember, it's the part of being you know, to buy one and your attendant is free. So okay. I encourage everyone to get out and support our local arts community. Any idea how diverse the music will be in this? No, I'm not sure about that. I like I I know they said, you know, different performers and unfortunately I'm not a big knowledge base about jazz music here in Newfoundland. I like the way you worded that. Evening evening of getting out, you know, balancing with our like... Irish Newfoundland music cuz you yeah. know March coming up, oh, yeah. we are getting yeah. ready to, you know, Patty's Day and the yeah. dancing and I'll be out dancing like a leprechaun, you know. <laughs> I almost thought you were going to say, you know, I'm not a big fan. of. I like the way you said that instead of saying that, because, I mean, you know, like any music, and I think sometimes we forget types of music, there's so many different types to subcategories um, in, in that type of music. So what I one thing I do wonder, Kim, as you mentioned about accessibility, two-year pieces here, 
you can speak to the accessibility of the locations where they're being held at. I know that must be sometimes tough because we're talking an, an older part of Canada that, yes. that doesn't necessarily get that money, that grant money, that support for making things as accessible as a lot of places would like to be, the renovations it would take. You know, obviously it's in the plan for new stuff. But do you find that hard when you're sussing stuff out for the for the report? Sometimes I do, and 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 I I try. Like I said, it is always in the forefront of my mind. How how will this be accessible? And and I often, as you know, I'll say, you know, you definitely will need an attendant for this event. And I don't know if we will get a chance to talk to another upcoming event that's coming up. But that that's at the Bella Vista, very popular venue for using for event. That I find I struggle with accessibility in there. I shouldn't say I, I struggle. Yeah. On my own, I would struggle if that would make sense. Right. Like it's a beautiful facility, great venue for performances, but there's several stairs to go. Like you go in on the level, and then you're up on a, another area, and then you go up another area, and to go down to the bathroom, you're coming down the stairs. So for me, I'll always need an attendant when I go to that event yeah. in the agriculture center. Yeah. Right. So, but yeah. I know that, like, I'll, I know that with my attendant, we'll work together in in the accessibility, and we know what's coming up. And then sometimes we don't. Like I said, next week going to this um, club downtown, sixteen George Street. I have no idea. So no. my no. attendant, you know, but, is very but you know, like. You can't leave it off, right, Brock? You got to. Right. She's got to include these things because somebody can get access. Yeah, right. you you exactly. can't you you can't just automatically go to the well people can't so i won't because yeah. if they if they want to they're going to find a way to make it happen whether it's bringing somebody with them or finding another way around doing it if people yeah. are entitled to know when these events are no matter what your circumstances exactly and i, I do try to to source it out that i know that most of us can attend and 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 make it as accessible friendly my knowledge to let you know yeah there's a nice balance Kim, thanks a lot. You're welcome. Take care. Talk to you next month. Happy thanks, Patty. Mm. Oh, Patty's Day. <laughs> yeah, you, you dress green. up and dance around, all right? And you dan dance I'm around really. and just, you know, down there on George Street. Uh, Kim Thistle, our community reporter from St. John's, Newfoundland. We do all this discussion on with our community reporters Monday through Wednesdays generally on the program when we get that time to visit and, and talk to them and see what's going on. So she brought us today's uh, Tuesday report. It's like we're in the week of Kim with Kim yesterday as well on the show. Coming up in just a couple of moments, folks, woodworker Jeff Thompson joins us. He's going to be telling us how to build and finish a project with Live Edge Lumber. We get into that with him, and we'll show you a little something neat. Something neat here at my studio after this. Don't go away. There's more great conversation with Kelly and Ramya right around the corner. And Kelly joining it today on Kelly and Rumya, wherever you are listening in. Thanks a lot for being with us. Maybe you're chiming in on TuneIn Radio or OO Tunes just to settle back and listen to AMI Audio's uh, broadcasts of the program. Wherever you are, we love having you on board. And of course, always look for, for feedback from you too. So many different conversations, Brock, we can have. All right, Brock, I can't, I can't resist as you know, we get into March, we get into a different time of the year for sports. What's the one you're watching other than your curling? Uh, probably spring training and a little bit of hockey, I would say. Because hockey's getting yeah. into that drive point where you're 
running into those last couple of games and or last handful. I'm not going to say couple because it's more than a couple. But yeah, it's probably hockey and baseball mixed in with a little bit of basketball here and there. Do, do you think hockey has what do they say about August for baseball? The dog days of, of, of the summer. The do you think hockey has the, that? The frozen days of winter. Yeah, the frozen uh, dog days probably. of winter or whatever. I would say it's probably just before the All Star break. You kind of you kind of feel people limping in towards the All Star break, and even a little bit after that as well. So, okay. yeah, I think so. It's just not as fun and pungenty like like that, where you can say the dog days of summer, where it sounds it sounds good. So there's just not one of those for hockey. But uh, I'd be very they... careful what name you came up with when it comes to basketball. <laughs> you know which right. ones we know the uh, kind of culture and the way the guys speak and everything like that. Yeah, that might be a little bit too um, non-air friendly. Yes, one hundred percent. Well, what is air friendly is the smell of the woodshed, and I know I can smell it. So it's time to bring on Jeff Thompson to talk a little woodworking. Hi. I'm Jeff Thompson. Let's talk wood. Practical woodworking from a blindness perspective. It's not, can I do it? It's, how can I do it? Now let's get started. Today you are talking, Jeff, about using live edge wood for projects. Let's start with the baseline of what is live edge wood? Hi, guys. Uh, I, I think the baseline is, and a rumor tells me that Kelly's desk has a live edge on it. I'm, I'm yep. just guessing, Kelly. Yeah, oh, I mean, you want to talk about a live edge. Now, this is a desk that uh, we're going to show some pictures up here uh, of it. Um, this was made by our senior producer, Matt Agnew. We, you know, I was very aware of Matt's love for working with wood. We've expressed that on the program. And one of the things I was looking for was a raised top desk so I could lift my desk up and down and get it in different positions so that, you know, basically what people call the, the stand-up desk, which has mm -hmm. a couple of positions. Matt set to work on this thing for me. Um, I guess if I'm going to get my memories as good as I think it is, he, it's olive wood. Um, he's of oh, course wow. treated it as uh, with his design into it. He's got underneath and, and there's some barn board when it comes to my tray um, that, uh, I pull my keyboard out on. Um, this thing smells wonderful still, solid as can be. I have a space there that's been cut out. And actually, Matt's dad did the favor of making a, a little uh, little uh, cup holder, a little place so I can actually put a cup in there. Matt grooved it out, but he made a really nice little leather cutout for me to put it on so it's not putting a, a maybe a damp bottom cup right onto the wood. This thing is absolutely sweet, I will tell you now, for sure. Well, that's great because, you know, a live edge wood offers that tactile, you know, for someone who can't see the wood, you know, so I like that. That's great. Oh, it, it's really something. And the time when he brought it, oh, it was just like, oh, my God. Um, and, you know, I've had <laughs> my property manager has come in here to look at a couple of things in the building and said, you know, by the way, uh, if that desk is ever gone, you know where not to look. I, I would have never <laughs> stolen it. Don't come look. You'll have to set out otherwise. Uh, absolutely loves it. Yeah. Live edge wood is basically you take off the bark and the cambium la layer, and that's that's the live edge. But typically, 
with a, a, a sawmill, they'll cut a tree down, then they'll cut it into like a square, a log that's long square. So most of the time you lose that live edge and then they cut their wow. lumber out of it. Yeah. Wow. So when you say that, so if we look at a, you know, a tree, you think of the size, you think of it, and they make that square, the bark, the other areas of that, that's what you're losing. What 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 gets done? Like, I mean, I look at this um, top that Matt's, Matt's, you know, created for me, and it's, it's just so phenomenal. But you look at it, it's beautiful, but it has that area of, you know, like, oh, yeah, you feel that there and feel that little not oh, there, yeah. the, the, the little pieces that make it natural. So is that... When we think about outside of that square block, that's kind of what we're talking about, the use of the, the, the rest of the tree. Well, you, you take a sawmill that wants to get the most dollars out of the uh, chunk of tree. You know, they might have a 10-foot log, and they're going to mm -hmm. figure out everything they can get out of it. Now, if you take the dead center and get two inches wide out of there, that's a perfect live-edge piece. But... Mm that shortens or cuts down on what they can profit off of because you just yeah. took the heart of it out of there. And that's where they make quarter sawn wood. That's where they make all the best, widest planks. So typically someone that's making a sawmill that's going to make live edge wood, they got a market for it. So they get their money back out of it. Otherwise, they're going to try and cut that wood to get every square inch they can get out of it. So live edge wood is uh, priceless in a sense that it's it's very rare to find it. And kudos on you getting that desk. That's great. Well, like I said, absolutely amazing piece. Can we talk about some of the other uses that one can get from live edge wood where you've seen it applied? Well, there, there we got like a tabletop. I've seen tables mm -hmm. where they have live edge on each side of it, and that's come from a big trees somewhere. And uh, use it on shelves, benches. You've probably seen some rustic type of furniture where there's a bench yes. and it feels like a they just cut a log up and done that to it, you know. So there are areas where you can use it. Or if you just get a ring of a tree, like when they just – chainsaw the tree off and then cut another ring a two inches thick it's round if you support that on the bottom with another piece of board like a piece of panel and then treat it just right that makes like a great hot pad or some other use a serving dish type of thing uh plate um wow. so there's lots of uses for this stuff and it's just being creative with it like trays like a tray to bring something out, whether it's, um, mm -hmm. oh, God, a charcuterie board or whatever. Yeah, put a round thing, uh, bearings underneath it so you can turn it and <laughs> serve mm -hmm. ketchup mm -hmm. on mustard and put it in the middle oh, of your picnic table. Oh, yeah, like the coaster thing. Um, coffee yeah. tables, do you, do you get much of it? Is that, I mean, that calls upon a lot of wood to do something like a coffee table. Well, it depends on what you want to do. You have endless possibilities and your imagination is the only thing that's going to limit you or make you wonder what it is. So when I get the pieces, I have an idea what I'm going to be doing. And then, but sometimes you feel the wood and you go, you know what, this isn't going to go for that. This is going to be that or something. But typically if you get a two by four, a one by eight or anything like that, you got a purpose for it. But live edge is something comes alive in there to you because you're feeling it. And that's the whole Nice thing about the live edge mantles over a fireplace. Nice oh. live edge piece. Mm. So you mentioned a little bit that it's 
tough to get live edge wood but if somebody really wants it where would you say go there and maybe you'll find live edge wood look up locally google it look up locally i was I almost said the yellow pages but but look it up and look for a sawmill a local sawmill because they're busy doing what they do to their customers and they might have stuff laying around that wasn't usable or you know maybe next time they throw a log on there and said hey this one's for brock and they'll just cut the heart of it right out of there and call you up and say we got one for you but local sawmills can you know be more flexible than going to a lumber yard where basically they're trying to sell you planks of wood typical construction wood straight up however i did hear from a listener of the show that they have now kits where you can buy a pine board and it has pocket holes in the bottom and we talked about that before where you can at an angle put screws right in and they hide but you can put a live edge right on the edge of your board Mm-hmm. So that works. That's one way of creating that look, especially like in shelves. Now, yeah. is it the real live edge? It is a real live edge on the edge there, but you're adhering it to a shelf. And, you know, it's the effect, the impact that you get from it that really helps, you know. So it's nice that they see there's some DIY ways of doing it, too. Mm. I, I, I mean, I know for this, one of the things that when Matt mentioned using the barn board, just totally thought, oh, my gosh, this is great. Like, like it's it's the uniqueness is something else. But what I did get curious, and he certainly explained to me, but I'm going to ask you about it. How does one bring the live edge to the finished look? Like, what what do you do? What do you put on? How do you put like the things that you would do to finish this? Well, technically... I like to remove the bark if it's on there because that's the, once that cambium starts to dry up, it, the bark likes to separate. And you've probably been in the woods where someone showed you, yeah, hey, you can take the bark right off of this, and it just mm-hmm. comes right off because the tree's dead. Then you have sometimes you have sapwood in there, which is sometimes a little bit softer depending on the species you're using. But once yep. you get it down, and typically even the small sawmills will cut it, kiln drying it run it through a planer in stages and it'll be pretty much ready for sanding. Um, If you have some big pieces, um, like what I'm going to do, I'm going to like a breadboard, how you put pieces together. I need to go 25 inches. So I'm using six inch boards. And then my last piece of the cherry is going to be the live edge piece. So it'll all blend together. But then if you have a local sawmill or lumber yard, someone that provides lumber to uh, contractors and stuff like that, sometimes they have what they call is a time saver. And it is a time saver where you can take that, say it's 25 inches wide by five feet long. They'll send it through there and sand it down three, three, four times, and it'll come out smooth, just smooth just totally smooth and the time you save by doing that you know but if it came off the planer real nice sure get get out your palm sander and sand it down you be the judge of what level you want a perfection you want and i i don't really like a glass top on you know when it's real wood like your barn board or something it's just interesting what you feel in it and that's why live edge wood barn wood um barn board 
is kind of more of a tactile thing. Uh, imperfections are kind of, you know, it's kind of interesting to have that type mm -hmm. of thing. Other people might want to, if you have a big piece, so there might be a crack in it, you can put an epoxy in there um, and strengthen it up a little bit by pouring that in there and sanding it down smooth. Um, there's just lots of different things you can do to it. And I don't know, when you're done with it, throw on a good oil or a good poly um, and some wax. I'm not a poly fan, but... If you get get some wax on there and that's your top coat, that'll stop, you know, a fly from flying over it and doing something. Uh, but <laughs> you, your coffee Love cups it. and everything, the oils penetrate and bring out the richness. And right on that edge, that's real hardwood on the edge there. Sometimes it's sapwood, which sometimes is like a white color. But like with um, black walnut, a white sapwood, sometimes that stuff looks really cool to people. Oh, and so yeah. there's something for everyone. And some of this live edge wood, uh, like I said, just gets cut up at the sawmill and no one gets it. Sounds really good. Thank you so much for this information. We always appreciate it. And you'll be back in about a month. All right. Thanks, guys. Take care. Every fourth Tuesday of the month, we talk woodworking with Jeff Thompson. Boy, get so much advice, so much knowledge out of this, man. Wow. Wonderful talk. Danielle McLaughlin is going to join us next for our monthly book club uh, review of the book, Actress by uh, Anne Enright. We'll be talking with her as she steps in in a moment. It's fun, insightful, and inclusive. Kelly and Ramya return in a minute. Never enough time, ladies and gentlemen, when we get into our audiobook review, which is what this segment's about. We do this once a month on the program on the last Tuesday of the month. So, folks, Brock Richardson, he's over there. He will be the presider of questions for us. And we welcome you to the Kelly and Rummy Audiobook Club. This is our chance and yours to really get into the books, authors, and narrators that we love or don't love. Today's book is Actress by Anne Enright. Recommended by that lady, we bring her in here now, Danielle McLaughlin. Of course, you can catch Danielle on the program on Mondays with Know Your Rights. Now, Actress is available uh, in human-narrated audio on Sela and for purchase on audio, uh, audible.ca. Warning, ladies and gentlemen, this conversation contains a bit of mature uh, subject matter. We ask the viewers, please, out there, uh, we give you a little advisement. Um, as we jump into this conversation, it is advised to watch what, uh, what who's, who's watching with you. Um, okay, Danielle, I want to start with you right off the bat before Brock gets into discussing uh, things with us. Off the top, because of a comment you said when recommending this book, I want to know what, and we're going to run this up here, we're going to show it on a graph, what rating do you give this in the sense of your review? What number? Uh, I give it all five stars. I absolutely love this book. Uh, it's one of the uh, best books I've read this year. I think, and I, as I've mentioned in, in previous conversations, Quality of writing is the first thing that interests me when I read a book, and this has it all. I think that Anne Enright is a brilliant writer. She's won a Booker Prize in, in the past. Uh, she's been up for many different awards over time for other books that she wrote. 
Um, and I think this one stands up very well with with her other works. I'm uh, I'm a big fan, as you can tell. Huh? Yeah, and, and a writer with a lot of history and a lot of cred. So I'll turn it over to Brock. Well, we love that when uh, we can get invested in the things that we read and watch and things like that. Uh, Danielle, can you start by giving us a quick synopsis in your own words of the book? Sure. Um, it's not a, a book to easily um, uh, synthesize into four or five sentences, but basically it, it starts uh, with the story of a woman um, who has a, a mother who has recently passed away, and somebody comes, a graduate student comes to interview her about her mother. And this uh, woman is Nora, and she's really kind of perturbed by the kinds of questions she's being asked. And she mentions this to her husband, at, he's a writer, Nora, and he says, well, why don't you write the book yourself? And that's what you're reading, pretty much, is the book that she writes herself about her very complicated mother, her relationship with her mother, and her mother's place in history as as well. She, um, you know, she's very polite, uh, a little offhand with the graduate student, but as soon as her <laughs> husband suggests that she write the book herself, she immediately starts on research to find out more and more about her mother. And so there's a whole lot that, to be known about her mother that she didn't know. And uh, it's revealed over the course of the book. But interestingly, it's not set up like a mystery. Um, no, you no. know from isn't that interesting, Kelly? You know from the very beginning that her mother, uh, Catherine O'Dell, shoots somebody. You know that within yeah. the first few pages, and you just have to wait to it unfolds. To, who did she shoot? Why did she shoot him? Um, and and, and what, what is this? And the aftermath. What is the whole story? Danielle, I think one of the things that I thought, and, and I found, as we'll get into a little bit, just more of a challenging read that way, because I look for that conventional whodunit, who's, you know, yeah. my private detective books and things like that. And it's not knowing that off the top. I've read many books where you know right off the bat who done what to who. You're just now sorting out the why, the story behind it. What an interesting device, bringing the student in, no, Hub, he says, write it yourself. And seeing it through the eyes of the daughter, doing the research and the writing. Um, and again, I find you get this with a writer like Anne Enright, who has written for so long, and the different devices, one gets a story laid out to you. Um, is it, and, and again, you, you've read a lot of Anne's content in your mind yes. and, and, and in my mind. This is a different way she writes, but you expect that from Anne Enright. You in other do. things I've and read, it's totally different. It, it's quite it's quite different. It isn't just a story, because you're really delving into the relationship between a mother and a daughter as well. And so that you understand that as she's telling you things about her mother, you believe some of it. You don't believe all of it. And you also understand that what her mother did had a strong effect on her. And it she develops as a person, the, the daughter, Nora, over the course of the story about her mother. And I think that, you know, Anne Enright is a bit of a specialist in uh, looking at dysfunctional families. <laughs> you know, she she knows that, uh, as, as Tolstoy said, you know, all happy families are the same and every unhappy family is unhappy in its own way. And I think that that's what this this story really is not necessarily about an unhappy family, but certainly a very complicated 
family, which, you know, a mother, a daughter, and then all of a vast all array. All the characters. Yes, who come in and out mm-hmm. and in and out, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah and they're Those... flamboyant in their own way, kind of like the characters Very. you found in, what was it? Um, what was it? Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil. That, that Good and Evil, also... that's right. Yeah, it, it had that same kind of those characters were really, really stood out. And that's very what you dramatic, got here. Right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. All, and, and, and a lot of the characters who are very dramatic are, of course, actors. And that's yes. why this book is called Actress, because it's about uh, the mother who, who was an actress. And you never know, you know, if she's acting or is this actually who she is? Um, you know, she's one, one of the things I, I mean, I know this book can be seen as quite dark, but I found it enormously funny as well. Um, yeah. You know, she's known known to be, uh, you know, this great Irish actress. And of course, the, the daughter first finds out that she's not even Irish. You know, she was born in the UK. Um, she's she, 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 she talks about how she becomes so Irish, it turns her hair red. You know? mm. <laughs> Which I, Brock, it's the personas, <laughs> right? We talk about personas, whether you're an yes. actor... <clears throat> an on-air person, there's certain personas sometimes people have, and this was huge with actors and stuff like that, especially desiring, yeah, I want people to see me as a, a an actor from here, or you get all these American actors. How did they get their British accent back in the days? Yes, yes, For sure. that's right. For sure. Danielle, does the author remind you of any others, whether it be authors themselves or books you've read them by that particular author? Well, it certainly reminds me of other books written by Anne Enright. But, um, you know, I, I was having my husband listen to the audiobook, which Anne Enright narrates herself. And he said, my goodness, it really sounds a lot like James Joyce. And I think that there are certain resonances mm. of, of James Joyce in in the writing. It, it, the, it's very poetic in, in many ways and a um, bit of a fan of, of uh, Irish writers, from way back <laughs> myself, you know, I, I you know, I'm a, a fan of Joyce and she, and she mentions having met Yates, you know, so all of these characters are kind of brought into the, the story as well. So, yeah, it, it reminds me of some of really the best writing in, in English that, that I know about, which is another reason that, that I liked it so much. But, you know, I can see why you might find that it, it's a bit hard going. And, and Kelly, I wanted to know how you found it. Um, as I mentioned, I found it harder to get into. Um, I, of course, found the, the humor wonderful in, in what I kind of expected, despite, the, you know, her, her mom, the killing and things like that. But I also found the, the, the neatness of the characters. I found myself wondering how close to realism and what, what story we are going to get based on this and, and what I relate to as a fan of old-time TV, radio, and so on because what? of the era. Um, we start out in the 70s in, in really the story and the parties and stuff like that. And a lot of things, you know, you got to really find these interesting characters, some you don't like, some you're like, oh, that filthy beast, and, and that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. um, so so there wasn't the punches pulled there, which you would expect with Anne, uh, Anne Ray. But for me, getting into it, and I can't even say, oh, it moved too slow, because it's not that long of a book. I can't no. say it was too back and forth. So, um, it, But I know that there were those times that was that struggle. Where are we talking now? Who's this guy? Who's that person? What was that lady saying? What was that about? Um, it was one of those books that I had to stay in the game to focus on. 
Yes, that's right. You can't just sort of put it down and expect you'll come back and remember mm. who everybody is because there are quite a yeah. lot of characters. Or be multitasking then, while listening. Yes. No, that's that's right. Although I don't know if, if you listen to Anne Enright narrating the book. Did you did you listen to that? Yes. You were broccoli. Yes. yes I, I found for sure. that that the the humor of it really comes out as she speaks. That oh. that things that that I didn't realize were so funny became much funnier when I listened to her reading it. Yeah, I think our own interpretation. And again, when you're a, a playwright, playwright, excuse me, a writer like her, whether you're mm -hmm. reading it or not, you have the luxury of doing what you want. You're established enough. You're going to have some people read it. But it's like I say about when actors or artists perform, musicians, and they get to a point where they say, you know, I've really always had an interest in playing jazz music. I'm going to. And Anne Enright can do that stuff. She can yes. take something and say, I know this isn't going to grab everybody, but I want to write it. I want this. I want to write this story. I have this idea. And I find that wonderful um, because if you are a follower, you are going to. But you need differences in what your writers will do. Some of us love it to stay the same, but it's, it, you got to assume these people want to grow and that never stops. Yeah. Yeah, I, um, I, I, I really like the fact that you know that that she's shot Boyd O'Neill, but it's almost Boyd doesn't die. You know, it's it's almost yeah. more annoying than any yeah. anything. Yeah. You know? they, but it's it's an indication of the mother beginning to lose her mind. That's you, right. At, That's right. At, at, and I find that the, you know that the the depth of it. You know, she's this flamboyant character. She's you know she's into everything. At what point do you start saying, I think she's kind of losing her grip here, yeah. and it's hard to tell because she's such an actor. I think you get both both moments in that. And I think sometimes because of people's impressions of actors anyway and doing the things like some of those performances and how, how she'd get into those roles, you're like, oh, my gosh. You know, I think a lot of time people think, well, these actors have lost it anyway. Um, and I think killing him, that you know, like like anyway, like if something had happened, there would be no story for us. Yes, that's right. Yeah. And of course, you know, one one of the questions, and it doesn't even seem a serious question, even though as it's it's developed over the, the course of the story, is who is Nora's father? And she doesn't mm. know um nope. who her father is because her mother's had all of these dalliances and all of you know this this very flamboyant life. Um and she never really does find out. That's not giving much away to to, to say that, but you know, it, it's it it. it it helps to develop her character too, don't you think, Kelly? That you know she's she's not overly concerned about this question. Mm -mm. No, no, she's not, and I think it's due to the life and the people who were in her life. It's yeah. when you you know it's like some people are very curious. They could have a lot of people around them and still be curious. But it's almost like all of these folks who were around all the time. I don't want to say they were necessarily father figures. I'm saying yeah. there was more of a community and family. They had the connections, and there was enough for And I think that she understood enough of the lifestyle, the things that went on, to kind of conceive how this could possibly happen. Um, Brock, tell us something here. Triggering content, which we're kind of talking about in this, deep, complex stories aren't always people's first choice to dive into because it does take a lot of, a lot of focus. Um, how much would you be likely eagerly or not, to pick up a book like this, as you've heard us talking about, or a TV series like this? Um, I would. There are certain 
uh, TV series. I'm not much of a book person, which has been well documented on this program, but there's been certain TV series that people would say, oh, you got into this. Like, I really like the Chicago, uh, you know, the fire, the med, and the PD. And those can be really sobering and real-life-feeling moments where you're just kind of like, this is a little too close to home, but I, I enjoy it. And listening to you guys talk about the author specifically and the way she writes and the way she does it lends me to think, maybe I could give this book a bit of a try because, and again, all it takes, and I and I hate to use the pun here because it's the segment we're doing, but is a recommendation. Uh, somebody having a discussion where you're like, you kind of lean in and you kind of say, I could take this a little, listen, if somebody gave me the synopsis without this conversation, I'd probably like, no, but listening to the passion of you guys talk about it and the way that Anne Enright wrote the book, I think I would be more lend to pick it up and read it. Danielle, is there any yeah, I, other Anne Enright yeah. book you would suggest to him? Like, I'm not, oh, I, yes. I, I, I have a hard time retaining writers and stuff like that. I can know names, but if you said, what books did that person sure. write? Anything I think, you would yeah, point to? Yeah, the two to? that I would recommend are The Gathering, and I think that's the one that she won the Booker for, and The Green Road sure. is, is the yeah. other oh, one. Yeah. And these are these are both about dysfunctional families, families that have great complications. But I find that her her characters are really alive um, and that you, at least I feel some empathy, even with the people I don't like. I still have a, a sense that these are real people and they are behaving in ways that real people behave. And also they set you to thinking about, you know, how the people in your own life uh, have an impact on how you behave and, and how, mm. you know, how you think too. Um, you know, are you able to imagine yourself uh, as somebody else? It's not easy to do. Not everybody is able to, to, to be that empathetic and, and think, you know, this person behaved that way. If I were in that situation, would I also behave that way? And you, you know, it, 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 it really makes you think about, um, you know, a sort of a depth uh, of, of compassion uh -huh. and, and, in my and, view. And I think the characters need to have, in, in these kinds of books, and written this way, depth for you to be able to relate and pick out your favorite character, whether they're a main character or supporting. The fact is, when there's enough depth, you might imagine somebody you might know or some influence in your life, good or bad or whatever, but some relatability. And it takes a real writer who believes in writing more depth, that they're not just characters you're killing off or you're just, you know, yeah. no, no, I don't want to get too complicated because sometimes we need that. Hey, hey, that's Brock. You know, and it might be yeah. just something the person says, does in the For story sure. out of all the characteristics that jumps out. Danielle, thank yeah. you. Thank you very much. And I hope, Brock, that if you do decide to pick it up, that you enjoy it as much as I have. I hope so as well. Uh, we Thank do this you. every month, folks, on the last Tuesday month that Danielle had uh, recommended to us, Actress. That's the book we're talking about. And Enright, if you want to pick it up, of course, as mentioned, you can find it uh, as an audio book through uh, Audible. And it's over on Sela. Excellent read by the writer. We'll step aside as we uh, get ready to wrap up this program. We'll see what the gang over at Now with Dave Brown has going on. Brock has that in hand for us. We'll get to that in a moment. In a closing moment, get your cereal boxes together. Why? Maybe you want them to tumble for you. In a moment. Mm -hmm. 
We'll be back with more of Kelly and Ramya after this short break. to the program. Brock Richardson joining me. He's at the home studio in Kitchener, Ontario. Kelly McDonald here at the home studio, London, Ontario. And I want to remind you to subscribe to the Kelly and Rumia podcast, if you would. Check the show out in its full version where the audio vanity card is slapped onto the end of the full show. Or you can listen to the show in segment form in case you like something. And today, boy, did we have some great segments on the program. And if you have time or have your favorite contributor you want to check out, that's the best way to do it. Brock, the gang at now with Dave Brown kicked their show off at 9 a.m. in the morning tomorrow wednesday what's on their show starting at nine eastern well there's a rise in loneliness in north america wellness advocate shane baker will discuss the importance of social connection what is old is new again in education uh univer- um, yale university wants to reincorporate standardized tests for their admi- admission process uh, standardized tests are more common uh, outside of Canada, so that's also a cool topic. And oh, my computer, there we go. Elizabeth Moeller will have that detail. And um, Amanda Paris discusses the new CBC show for the culture. So that's all coming up tomorrow. And uh, look forward to that program beginning at 9 a.m. in the morning. And you can subscribe to their podcast, too, at your convenience, folks. This is our closing moment. Folks, this comes out of North Carolina, where some students celebrate goal-busting serial drive with an epic TikTok video. Now, Rob Carroll released uh, this uh, item. He published it on February 20th. Clemens... Elementary school in North Carolina spent two weeks collecting cereal to to, uh, donate to a local food bank. The community responded in a huge way, helping drive the number of total collected cereal boxes to get this number, folks. 2,777 boxes. Yikes, what a huge accomplishment, which deserves a bigger celebration, according to uh, WX. I, excuse me, WXII in Winston-Salem. A bunch of volunteers got together last Friday. The TV station said that the volunteers spent five hours setting up all 2,777 cereal boxes in a line, like you would set up dominoes before knocking them over. The line of boxes snaked from outside of the school, through the halls, and into the gym for the grand finale. Parent and PTA member Farah O'Byrne shared a video of the boxes tumbling over the, her TikTok account. Now, the video currently has more than 33 million views in less than a week of being posted or did. Since the video took off of this, uh, O'Byrne has shared additional videos of how, of course, everything got together. Now, the line of cereal boxes took five hours to set up. It only took three minutes to knock them over. And, of course, the kicker, and another two hours were spent picking it all up once they were finished. Congratulations for the huge goal achieved. Did you have to do any of this stuff, Brock, in school? I avoided it like the plague myself. I just wouldn't go around and collect for UNICEF. I never wanted to be in on these drives and stuff like that. So I really, when I hear this, take fedoras off to these people. I always use my vision as my my 
reasoning. If somebody wanted me to go collect money, I'd be like, well, I don't want to rip anybody off because uh, my vision. <laughs> so, you know, that's what I would do. <laughs> and that's what I would use. I will just tell you quickly, Kelly, I saw that video. And the first thing I thought to myself was, what a mess and what a setup. And it's all for a short amount of time. And I was follow, following the camera individual and thinking, wow, to stay on pace with that is unbelievable. Yeah. And when I hear it pictured, I think about it snaking around and just what a great sound. And then to slow it down and put sound effect with that. Powerful. Folks, Brock, uh, I thank you for being with us today. And I step aside here to uh, wave at you for tomorrow. But first, tomorrow, director Sam Meza says he has a grand vision for four new Beatles picks. This is a biopic. Corinne Van Dusen will be here tomorrow to tell us more on the entertainment report. Community reporter Vic Pereira brings us all the stuff from Winnipeg, including an accessible sports expo. We're waving at you. Good night, folks. Take care. Probably should wave like that. We talked a little bit about the popularity of reality TV shows the other day with Greg David. We didn't really get into it, but it got me thinking and remembering, wow, I was such, such a judgmental person about reality TV shows. I was like, how could people get into these things? My goodness, merely for the entertainment of it? Oh, I mean, come on. But, um... The fact is, I did get into a couple of reality shows myself, one of them being Love is Blind, which I didn't really check on, but I'm hearing about a lot of lawsuits and other kind of things going on with Love is Blind. Whoops. Season one was epic, though. And the second one I sort of kind of got into was the Selling Sunset. My gosh, it was absolutely infuriating watching that show, but... Very entertaining, you know, several episodes in, you're kind of like, okay, the enjoyment is there. Definitely a factor. When I was younger, though, Fear Factor, which I'm not even sure if you really call that reality TV. I guess so. But uh, Fear Factor with Joe Rogan as the host, that was my absolute favorite. Religiously watched it. Still find clips that I enjoy watching as well. So I'm not as put off by reality TV as I pretend I am. Hi, I'm Red Sale, inviting you to download the latest episode of My Life in Books, where internationally acclaimed authors discuss their lives, their work, and three books that have resonated with them. That's My Life in Books, available wherever you get your AMI podcasts.